Welcome to Talkie Talk, the podcast with MediaBias.com. Joining me today in the office is TJ. Yep. And Brand. Hi. And it's me, Chris. And we're going to talk about uh, the things that we've seen this week. It's kind of a big week for blockbuster summer movies. We've seen a few. Um, and then we're going to dip our toes into a little breezy, uh, which is not as sexual as it sounds, and then talk about what you should watch next weekend as things kind of calm down. Um, but anyway, since I'm already talking, I'm going to continue talking and say what I've watched and played this week. Cool. Um, it's pretty quick on the two TV shows since I didn't finish either of them. But I am 75% of the way through Dear White People, the second season, or volume two as they call it. Mm-hmm. Is it as good? It is as good. Nice. <clears throat> I was surprised. There's like, it's very, um, very, very culture forward as a show. And so they had 2017 to write about for this volume, and there's a lot of stuff to write about. Because, um, you know, the whole premise of the show, Dear White People, is kind of turning the, like, the <clears throat> allegation of people being, like, uppity or entitled, um, turning that lens, like, back on white people a little, but then also still mocking themselves for doing it, um, like, African-American or black culture. Yeah. Uh, especially, like, Ivy League students. <clears throat> But, so it's still really good. Um, I would recommend it. Um, <clears throat> really engaging show. David really likes it, right? David really likes it, yeah. Have you or him seen the movie? David has seen the movie. I have not. Okay. From what I've heard, the show is really good and the movie is, is mixed. Okay, yeah. yeah. Mixed reactions. <clears throat> yeah, that's what, that, that's what I know of it as well. So I just didn't... I also heard from everyone, like, you don't need to watch the movie. So yeah. I didn't. And the show's really good. Nice. The other show is Kelly and I both started, and Kelly has continued watching a show that TJ briefly alluded to recently, uh, but the show Evil Geniuses. Um, Evil Genius. Evil Genius. Um, I didn't really get too far into it, but just want to let you guys know it's on my radar and I'm watching it, and I think that you're going to talk about it. Yeah, not really, because I was going to let everybody catch up. There's not a lot to talk about if you hadn't seen it. Right. Um, but what, it is... What's it about? What's the basic story? It's a true crime documentary about the... The pizza bombing from 2003 in Pennsylvania, Erie, okay. Pennsylvania. The guy who had the bomb around his neck that went off. I think Alex is telling me he watched that recently. So it's it's really it's, well done. It's yeah, the second it's really good. Uh, Netflix documentary series produced by the Duplass brothers, mm. and they did a uh, Wild Country, which David loved. Yeah, um, they've just got a they've just got an eye for bizarre stories with their fiction, and then also with this. Right, and it is crazy. Everything that happens in it, Kelly's just stunned. Because um, she doesn't specifically remember it. It's a very uh, like S Town twelve S Town feel in the way that like it's about a thing, but it's really about this thing, but it's really about this thing, and it keeps growing. Yeah. It's six forty five minute episodes. It's fantastic on Netflix. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. gotcha. And then quick hit, uh, kind of taking a break from Stardew Valley, got to play the new God of War for the first time. Oh, how's that? It's really good. I uh, watched Chris play for probably about an hour last night. It was really pretty. Yeah, it's it's a really good looking game. I don't even have a PS4 Pro, and it still looks good. Frame rate holds up, but it's cool. It's it's like it's taking like the God Killer from Greek mythology. He's basically like, you know, fled Greece and now is trying to live a secluded life in some Scandinavian hinterland. So it's the same character. It's Kratos. Yes, it is the same Kratos from the some, like Norse North of the mythology worlds. Yeah, kind of. yeah. So, that's what I gathered from the trailers, yeah. and I thought that looked really cool. Um, yeah, you don't have his like chain blades anymore. You've got this axe that his wife built, 
and you don't really know who his wife is. That story kind of unfolds. There's a child there. Um, the axe functions like uh, Thor's hammer, which yeah. is kind of cool. You can throw it and just leave it somewhere, and then you can recall it at any time. Nice. And it goes through enemies when you pull it back. And like, as far as you can damage. tell, it's like any time, pretty yeah. much. Like you can leave it for hours of gameplay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's a really cool boss battle in the beginning, which is neat. It's your first like foray into it, which is good for God of War fans. Because from what I understand, that's like what God of War was. There's a bunch of fodder enemies and then these like larger than life battles. And you fight this guy called the Stranger, who I don't know anything about him, but to me I think he's Loki. Because he's just this like guy who's keeps saying like I can't feel anything, like do whatever you want to me, like you can't kill me. It's just like like I I feel no pain and you just like beat him up all over like your family farm. Um Did you play any of the older ones? I didn't, Kelly did. I've played most of one, the first one. You've talked about getting I got, frustrated. I got stuck on some stupid yeah. spike trap level. It's like it's a lot of puzzles you have to solve yeah, in the yeah. game, and I knew I knew how to solve the puzzle. I just couldn't execute it, and I hate when a game just stonewalls you like that. Yeah, I mean it's not the game's fault. I just wasn't good enough to keep playing. Sure. But it was uh, it's frustrating because I wanted to see what else happened. <laughs> right, because it's a really fun story. It's a fun game to just. The old ones, I'm, I'm sure the new one has a, a similar feel where it's just a lot of button mashing and a lot of fun button mashing. This this one's not really like that as much. They've, they've kind of done away with the like the long cut scenes where you have to hit the button like really fast. Oh, right. Okay. So it's not that anymore. It's more just... And the combat seems more calculated, oh. which I like. So you have a heavy attack, a strong attack, a throw for the axe, and then you can tell Atreus to the kid to shoot arrows. Um, and then other than that, <clears throat> for like defense, you've got a block and a dodge. Okay. And if you block right when an enemy is attacking, you kind of parry and it like stuns them for a second. But then the complicated part comes in because all enemies have a health meter and then a stun meter. And if you do damage with the kid's arrows or when you're not holding the axe, you build up that damage in the stun meter... So then you can stun them and do like an execution where you like rip something apart. So it's still moves are cool. Yeah. So it's balancing like doing straight damage with the axe or like throwing it or putting it away and just being like a brawler and just like punching people. Um, so from what I understood from the old God of War, it's a lot of like square, 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 triangle, yeah. square, 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 triangle, triangle, triangle. Or you'd hit like uh, a. There'd be like combos that would just execute certain moves, and you can unlock them throughout the game, which was fun. But then you realize that there was just one combo that just did pretty much everything you needed to do. It was like triangle square. You just hit those two buttons in sequence, and then it was uh, that's pretty much all you had to know. Yeah. All the other combos were just pointless. But and from what I've seen later on down, and like because you like level up in this game, and you can assign like points into a tech tree. Oh, cool. There's yeah, like that's different. There are stance shifts that you do. So like mid combo there'll be pauses that you have to do and it changes the stance um, and then you can do like kind of like magic attacks in it too I don't know it's fun. really neat I, I have a lot of fun with the combat less fun right now since it's early on in the story with just kind of like the walking around and digging through shit and the puzzles haven't been like interesting enough yeah it's mostly just like pull- like a couple I saw was like yeah found the lever yeah whatever. yeah. I mean yeah a lot of the old gameplay was a little tedious like that too where it's just like yeah it's doing uh, tedious tasks over and over again right but what the old older games nailed were uh, boss fights they're really fun 
Yeah, like fighting the Hydra in in the first one. Yeah, I was talking to Chris last really night. It reminds me of a little bit of the the Lord of the Rings games. I remember the first one that came out for PS2 was like that. It was like pretty boring doing everything except fighting big bads. Yeah, and then they were fun because they were kind of puzzles within a fight. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like in a, the Batman games have done really well is that they've made the in between boss fights uh, interesting and yeah. more more fun to explore, like Arkham City or. Yeah, well, <clears throat> and it's and it's like that just combat like system. Button mashing. Sorry. Yeah, well, so so that combat system is predicated on like the big thing that it did was the counter and the counter indicator. Like right when an enemy is about to attack, a thing flashes above their head, and you hit the counter button and right. it does like you know a little scripted move to block his attack. Then you fire into your combo. Mm-hmm. This is like it's kind of like that. You can tell when an enemy is about to attack, mm-hmm. but if you hit like the block button or the or try and parry the attack. Like, it doesn't do it. You have to, like, turn and then face them to actually do uh, it. Okay. So it's a little bit harder yeah. in that sense, mm-hmm. but it's it's still similar. Nice. And like in the Batman stuff, it's not the, the scripted Hollywood fight where there's ten guys and they all attack you one at a time. Like, you'll just, they'll just gang up on you. I was caught in a fight with, like, like nine or ten Draugr uh, for probably, like, 25 minutes because I just kept dying because I wasn't doing crowd management well enough. I kept yeah. like fighting in the middle and trying to turn to fight. Me them. and Cass and Kelly kept like right in front of them. <laughs> and he went, he went, like, <laughs> Instead of like just putting them all in front of me and then fighting and then like you know reevaluating and putting them all in front of me and fighting. The little kid guy's a fun little add-on. I know it's not like super original or anything. Like it's not the first time it's ever been done, but the attacks aren't like that helpful. It didn't seem. It's just to distract but, enemies. Yeah, it's distract enemies and him like also be like, look out, like fire coming from behind you or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's actually on a bunch of lists as like one of the best video game companions. Cool, because he's like not a burden and he's helpful. You don't have to protect him. Yeah, yeah. he's helpful, but not in like a Call of Duty way, where like if you don't play, then they'll just kill everything for you. Right. Because there are there are people who have done that, like video game magazines, where they'll get a Call of Duty game, load up the campaign, and then do a pacifist run where they don't shoot anyone, but like all the NPCs kill everyone for you. Sure. <laughs> you, you can play those entire games right without firing a single shot. Sorry. Um. But yeah, so really enjoying God of War. I'm going to keep playing and keep talking about it as it's interesting. Cool. I've seen some stuff that, that comes later on and it's ridiculous. Like, um, you know, the Norse idea of the world serpent is in this, um, the Nidhogg, and it's like this gigantic thing that has like a really low, booming bass voice that seems really neat. Cool. <clears throat> but then other than that, I'm going to kind of throw it to the crowd because I saw, and you guys saw, uh, Solo, Star Wars Story. Solo, solo, <laughs> so solo. And that's the last thing on my watch list, so I'll talk about that with you guys. What'd you think? I really liked it. Um, I was a, I was a fan of it from start to finish. I thought that for who Han Solo is as a character, the movie nailed that tone completely. Um, I thought the side characters were probably the best parts of it. Um, Alden Ehrenreich did a good job as Han Solo. It's it he is was, he was a pleasant surprise. It is an impossible role to do perfectly. Like Harrison Ford's like you have to both be engaging but also be dismissive and nonplussed by everything. Yeah. Which is like I don't think that that after A New Hope or Empire Strikes Back, if they would have done a solo Han Solo movie, it wouldn't have done that well. Right. Because that's his whole thing is he's disaffected. He's got the one thing that he wants, which is, you know, he loves Leia. And like that's and money and Chewy and that's yeah. it and the Millennium Falcon yeah and like you, it doesn't really a good movie script that doesn't make um, 
but <clears throat> I think he did a really good job. Donald Glover's great as Lando. Nailed you know. too. Yeah. yeah, and his lines come off as cheesy, and they're supposed to. Yeah. Um, I really loved L7, the insurrection bot. Yeah, there's a, <laughs> there's a great droid. The droids in the new movies are fucking killing it. Yeah. They have done a great job. K2 says great. BB-8's great. Yeah. Yeah. And L7 was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, it really gives, like, it lets them put a cartoon performance in, in the middle of a movie that's trying to take itself kind of seriously, which is pleasant. Um, you know, Amelia Clark was good as Kira. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody was serviceable at the least. Yeah, I mean, my, my least favorite part of it, to get into that, because I gave it four stars. I know that's something that we normally say at the end of what we gave it, but I think my hardest part was just kind of how they took... It felt more like a series of events loosely tied together, um, and I would have liked a a more ironed-out script that went from A to B a little better. So that's interesting for me, because for me it felt too tight. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like, man, they are hitting everything they need to for this, like, Han Solo back. They didn't leave anything... There's no ambiguity about anything I know about Han Solo. It was all explained. Um, I don't know. But, I mean, I, I follow what you're saying a little bit. But my favorite parts were the beginning and the, the beginning and the end. The train heist scene was great. It was yeah. Well shot. And that character that died, what was his name? Rio. Yeah, was great while he was around. And then the office scene at the end was, I yeah. was great. I mean, not the... We're laying off spoilers, right? For uh, this, it's, it's fresh enough, or are we? Oh, we're gonna timestamp it. So yeah, yeah. Let's, let's timestamp it time and warn people. It. Like people know. Yeah, yeah. There doesn't have to be a vocal warning. We'll, if we, if you, if you brave the timestamp though, and you're here now, full spoilers ahead. Yeah. But um, yeah. The by the office scene, I don't mean the hologram and mall. I mean everything leading up to that, pretty much. Yeah. And also, it's a spoiler, 100. percent That is what a spoiler is. But like. I don't know what it spoils, other than you get to see Darth Maul. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't love that they used Darth Maul there either. But I'm also not as familiar with the cartoons. <laughs> I'm zero percent familiar with the cartoons. I did not know he was still alive. Well, yeah. Apparently, so the cartoons that... <laughs> go into how he like you. Yeah. You could have watched all the cartoons and watched Solo up until that point and not known he was still alive there. Okay. Because you don't know when Solo takes place. Right. Yeah. I was trying to put that together. That was all Kelly and I talked about. I was trying to put together when in time this takes place because they talk about how Beckett killed an assassin who is in Phantom Menace, but then Darth Maul is in a hologram and is probably alive, but then he's on his way to Tatooine at the end of the movie to do job to do a job presumably for Jabba. Yeah. Because he ends up owing Jabba money for that, which is why he's still on Tatooine at the start of A New Hope. So apparently... Uh, from what I've read in like comics what people have put together uh, Han does spend like 7 to 10 years kind of running smugglers based out of Tatooine okay. running jobs based out of Tatooine so this could I mean we know it doesn't because of Luke's age and Han's age and hope and yeah. a new hope but it's possible without thinking about that that this takes place like during Revenge of the Sith Right. It There's nothing else saying it can't. It, it can't... Well, the only, my only thing is that... And the thing that's weird for me for the timeline also, for saying that it happens close to A New Hope, is that Infus Ness is the start of the rebellion. Right. She is a pirate who starts a rebellion with the money they make from selling the 
what's it called? The 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 whatever the refined the fuel MacGuffin. is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is so they start the rebellion from selling that. So I would agree. This is probably after the emperor takes power. As oh wait, it has to be. They're stormtroopers that are in power, right? And Solo, and they are human stormtroopers because they're recruiting them. So they're not clones. So all the clone armies have to be done. Right. My guess is this is probably like five years after Revenge, maybe. And like so, seven to well, ten. Before. As silly as the concept of years is, when you're dealing with multiple planets but and right. and light speed travel. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Because um, uh, I, I was also trying to compare, like, if this happens, like, ten no, no, years, no, no, no. if this happens ten years before the events of A New Hope, then Han is like twenty years older than Luke. Like, I'm fine with that. But then I mean, he's, he's, I think he's like. Then boy, that is a that is a May December romance of Leia. Then <laughs> I, I always thought it was like thirty-one to eighteen, somewhere in there. Yeah, if I had to like pin it down, it's. It's just funny because they're telling a prequel which kind of which gets lost because there are other prequels. So it's kind of an inquel because it has to couch itself somewhere or just say, you know what, this is a separate story. Just don't even pay attention, which is hard to do when they put Darth Maul in. They mentioned the the bounty hunter, uh, and and they're going to Tatooine. So you've got a beginning and an end point for where Solo should fit in. I just don't know where to put that. Yeah, I mean it's it's. Uh, I don't know. It's it's so like irrelevant to yeah. It was relevant to my and enjoyment. The, the, of it. the main problem with the mall thing for me is that like all the other little Easter egg type things that were in there, like the blaster and his, well not his name, but the blaster and like the Mandalorian armor, the mask that yeah. what's name is wearing when they're trying to mm-hmm. go still and Kessel when they're committing the heist, yeah. um, stuff like that. Like didn't take away from the movie at all. I was like, oh, I see that. And Cassandra, who was the first Star Wars movie she's ever seen, being in the end. Didn't even know it was there. Didn't right. matter. They didn't spend any time on it. She wasn't like, am I supposed to know what that is? Yeah. And they throw Darth Maul in, which is like, annoys super fans like me. Yeah. And people like Cass who have never, like, who don't care, are like, huh. Who's, who's Why should I give a shit? Yeah. yeah. And even, like, the people in between, like, me and Cass, are going to be like, wait, is he Sith, though? And he's not. At that point, he can't be. Does the George Lucas rule of there can only be two... Mean that Maul is recruiting. well. He's not. He's he gets found and given legs and goes and finds Sidious and so he's like a green Clone Wars. No, he doesn't. He's not part of the Sith. Oh. He hates Jedi and Sith in the cartoons. Yeah. But yeah. other than that, what he is think? he yeah. is dead <laughs> as of um, what's going on now. Though okay, he died in the end of Rebels. Okay. So this happened. Obi Obi Wan kills him on Tatooine. It would make sense with, with <laughs> outside of Obi Wan's. It would make sense that with Infus Nest starting the rebellion, that Darth Maul is alive if he's alive in Rebels and dies on Tatooine. That this happens. This movie happens somewhere in that <laughs> time period. Yes. Well, I actually I kind of agree with Chris when it comes to the plot. I think it was just clunkily assembled. If that makes sense. If that's like a the, yeah, it's like a greatest hits album. You're pulling. Right. You're pulling these individual things off of its original environment mm-hmm. and just straining them together because of how popular they are, not because of how well they fit together or the artist's vision. And I, I did see one uh, comment that's really stuck with me, which is that, uh, so he met, he got his name, he met Chewie, he did the Kessel Run, all in a matter of just a few days, and somebody, the, the, the joke was, 
man, Han Solo for like 20 years has been living in one, the greatest week of his life. <laughs> he has just been hanging on to that one week. Um, but yeah, no, it's... I I gave it two and a half stars on Letterboxd. I didn't like it as much, but I liked... I, I thought it was entertaining. I thought it did a pretty good job of that. I, I actually, I liked the... Um, I thought I liked the train heist. Uh, probably a little less than y'all, but I liked it. And uh, and I I actually really liked the end when they were done with the Kessel Run. I kind of liked the everything that happened after they showed up on that the refinery planet. Saris, yeah. Saris. Yeah, that's actually my biggest uh, sadness associated with all the new Star Wars movies is that I no longer know like all the planets, <laughs> and I'm, I'm no longer just a the like it used to be kind of easy to be an encyclopedia of Star Wars knowledge because there were only there for 20 years there were three movies and then for another 15 years there were just three more right but uh, now um, yeah I liked the end of the movie and I liked the droid I actually kind of wish I was kind of bummed that she didn't have more to more screen time yeah me too um I liked Donald Glover's performance I wasn't I feel like they didn't really do a whole lot with Lando I would have liked a little more more to like depth to Lando but as far as a performance of Lando he nailed it he was awesome and very enjoyable um the other characters were I thought competently played and the characters themselves were just stock characters that I've seen in dozens of movies. Like, the Woody Harrelson character is just the, you know, the, told you not to trust me. That sort of, uh, how many times have we heard that in movies? And, uh, from Woody Harrelson. Yeah. From Woody <laughs> Harrelson. Yeah. Um, and maybe Clark was, I mean, again, fine. I, I, I think she has, though, the best and most unexpected turn. Yes. Like, I, I liked that. I did like that, yeah. And... Uh, who's Paul Bettany's character name? Character's name? I don't know. I, I liked him as like the as like a as a bad guy, just like a a faceless, you know, true black bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gangster. Type. Yeah, yeah. He he was good. I agree with what you're saying. Every everybody was serviceable. I gave it three stars. And uh, my whole thing is that there was absolutely zero like development on any of them. Like every like you were saying, like this character, like Don Glover. I wish Lando had more to do. It's like I wish they all had more to do. Yeah, like what? What other than other than trivia? Other than like we now know bits of trivia about Han Solo's past. Is there any character we know more about? Really, like what makes them tick? What's like the character? Is there any character we really know a whole lot more about after seeing this movie? I don't really think there is because I think it's I think Han is the same as what I thought he was before. Now, having said that, we don't have to either. But well, and it's good that they're not inconsistent. But if you're going to like market it as a prequel origin story for Han Solo, then you kind of do. Well, especially when like, I mean, I think the Chewie stuff is good as as hard of a character as it is to develop as Chewbacca. Chewie's the one who developed the best. Yeah. I agree. He had the best yeah. character development in the movie. Although those other Wookies looked terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> they looked like extras off of the old Planet of the Apes remake. It made me. <laughs> this movie made me think I'd rather see a Chewbacca origin story than a Han origin story. Oh yeah, you got more years to work with because he's apparently 190 years old. Yes, yeah. yeah, you yeah. can see like the I don't know, just so much. I feel like Chewie could be like the Forrest Gump of the galaxy, where he's just like passing through all these like uh, notable moments in galactic history or whatever, just in the background. He's not noticing. Uh, that's another reason it can't take place during Revenge of the Sith because Chewie's on Kashyyyk chilling at the end of Revenge. Right. Mm. Um. But yeah, no, I just I don't know. I don't think. I think this movie aspired to be nothing more than entertaining, 
and I think it achieved that. I think it did a great job of that, yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, I mean, I was bored at times, but never for too long of a stretch. Same here, yeah. I, I have a hard time envisioning a Han Solo 100% movie without thinking immediately it's just going to be an action movie. He's a scoundrel and a smuggler. That's what I want to see. I want to see heists. I want to see double crosses. I want to see double agents. And I got those. So I was like, great. Yeah. Some of the characters fell flat, but they do in heist movies. They show you ten characters and you know that eight of them are going to be gone by the end of the movie. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I had like some hardcore eye roll moments, but... <laughs> yeah, you mentioned the him getting his name. Who? So, so but, but who are your people? <laughs> just me. I wanted to just Han be like, Solo. <laughs> I think my favorite callback, the the only callback I, I really like, chuckled at and was like, yeah, was uh, when instantly Lando called him Han. Yeah, and uh, that was great. as uh, as Billy D. Williams did. Yeah, weirdly in Empire, and uh, it just made me so happy that. That from the get go, he only called him Han. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's not that, Han, it's Han. Did that happen in the original trilogy because no one had the balls to try and correct Billy D. Williams? Probably. Because he just did it once and they were like, Should we tell him? And we- then another thing I giggled at was uh, Under the Breath after he won the, the Falcon, where it was like, uh, Well, you hear Han go, like, Fair and Square, which is a quote from, from Empire. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I won that game fair and square. Yeah. Um,. But and he did. Yeah, and he did. Yeah. We, we get to see it now. We know. Yeah, it's worth checking out. It's uh, not my favorite Star Wars movie by a long shot, but it's uh, it's 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 a uh, it's on par with Revenge of the Sith for me. It's close. I would have to think hard. It's, it's on par with Revenge. Definitely better than Episode One or Two. I compared it to a movie equivalent of a bowl of, of vanilla ice cream, where it's just like, ooh, ice cream. Oh, vanilla. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like. It's not trying to do anything. Yeah. It's not... It knows its place. It's, it is not bold. It's not taking any risks whatsoever. And... But it's just... it's If it's what you... You know, it's vanilla ice cream. It doesn't horribly disappoint you. Vanilla ice cream with sprinkles. It looks really good, but it doesn't really add anything to it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I watched a few movies. One I'm going to save for the next podcast. I think it's going to be maybe relevant there. Um, it's Night of the Hunter, if you haven't seen it. It's really good. Uh, Charles Lawton directs. And uh, Robert Mitchum stars. It's a fantastic. Uh, I guess I call it psychological horror. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that, that was real good. It was my a rewatch on that. But I highly recommend that movie. I think it's on Filmstruck. And I watched a 2018 movie, Game Night, which Brent has seen. Yeah. And uh, can I, e- echo his sentiments. It was, you know, a great, easy comedy. Yeah. Not not like a an all timer. No, any but means, but it's. I found it very entertaining. There's no time wasted. Um, highlights are uh, Chandler and Jesse Plemons are both really good, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel McAdams is fine, but Jesse Plemons is the standout. Uh, yeah. Hilarious. He's really, really funny in that movie. Um, and then, yeah, I watched Solo, and I finally got on board and watched Infinity Wars today. Cool. Yeah. How'd you like it? Oh, it was great. Like, really good. I got four and a half stars. Nice. Bucks. Nice. It was weird watching Solo the day before, and like characters can't be developed, and then Infinity War, which is like how about three times the characters, and we'll develop them all a little more. <laughs> they're so good at that in Marvel. Yeah, the, they're they've got it down. I don't know how they do it, but every time, uh, so much better than Age of Ultron. If we're just talking the Avengers movies, oh yeah, mm-hmm. the comedy was there. Really funny jokes at times. How, how do you compare it to the original Avengers movie? It's hard. Like doing because you have to subtract your nostalgia for the first one. Yeah, 
Like the that panning shot of all of them in New York City on the street is just it's unforgettable. Yeah. For a comic book fan. Or comic book movie fan. Um but yeah, and I actually, me and Brent have talked off air some, uh, early on uh, we had read some reviews where somebody, we called it uh, one of the greatest cliffhangers of all time in sci-fi. And uh, Brent was saying, like, I don't really think so because I know what movies are coming out. No, I mean, not, not you, know, you said it in more words and more eloquent words, but that was a, a base of what you were saying. Even if I didn't know the movies that were coming out, I also I can just tell. Like, yeah, you, you just know from a storytelling standpoint that this My is not is, the end of the I line. Do you think it's a great cliffhanger? Uh, because that's not the cliffhanger. Is will they? Won't they? You know they win. Mm-hmm. You're 100 percent sure they win. Doctor, I mean, Doctor Strange says there's one way, and then his last words before he evaporates is, "This was the only way," and it wasn't said as like a new. The the way that line was delivered to Tony Stark felt very like. I know this sucks, but remember, this is the only way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those characters are going to be back. Probably not Gamora, but I think, I mean, obviously a few of them are. Yeah. Um, Gamora's the only big death that was not part of that. And that may not be able to be undone, because she is basically what makes up the Soul Stone. Right. <clears throat> but, I mean, hell, they show that with the Time Stone... You can bring legitimately bring somebody back to life. I mean, Vision yeah. was dead and brought back. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know. Really, really good. The felt like it's like a series of vignettes. Did y'all? I haven't listened to y'all talk about it on the podcast yet because I literally came and saw it. But the first like felt like four little twenty minute movies where it was like here's Thor and Guardians, here's Doctor Strange and Iron Man, and Spider yeah. Man. Yeah, we definitely talked about what groupings we liked best. Yeah. Um, they spent the right amount of time on each one, though. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah, I think the only the only one that I would have taken time away from for another one is I would have taken time away from the Thor, Rocket, uh, Groot, and uh, the, the Blacksmith story and moved that towards the uh, Spider-Man, Iron Man, Doctor Strange, because I loved their dynamic. Everything on Titan was for real me, fun. For me, the only thing I would have I cut back on is... Scarlet Witch and Vision, their romance, I didn't really care a whole lot about. And also the stuff on Wakanda in general. Just I, I, I really agree with the, the Vision and Scarlet Witch stuff. But I feel like, again, that was happening. And then, like, bam, here's Black Widow and Falcon and Captain America. Like, just when this is getting boring to come in and start killing folks. Well, the side villains were really good. The little, like, the groupings. Not the groupings, the char- the characters. The Did you at characters. all recognize uh, no. Nora Durst? I didn't. I didn't until Chris said it. I was like, oh, who was she? Yeah. Oh, she's the one lady I didn't know. I mean, the guy who plays, uh, what's his name in the first Guardians movie is somebody we all know too, and I didn't know who that was. The Ronan? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Lee Pace? But, uh, he's not recognizable as Ronan. Right. Yeah. Um, and I will say, 100%, even though I got out of the movie like three hours ago, uh, best MCU villain by far, I think, is Thanos. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think I would agree. Uh, I like Thanos. I just love that. Like me and Chris were comparing him to Ozymandias earlier. It makes such a better villain when they think they're right and they're not just evil for being evil. They yeah. think they're altruistic. They think they're yeah. doing something it's, good. He's not power hungry. He's not trying to get all the infinity and stuff. It, it's been proven. Yeah. He's right. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he was right on Titan anyway. Yeah. I mean, and he was right on a uh, uh, Gamora's home planet. Mm-hmm. Like, because well, he succeeded there, so it's hard to say. But he didn't get to carry out his planet Titan, and it went to shit. And everybody died. Right, it's just it's it's interesting when you've got somebody who 
who the only reason why they are considered a villain is because it's counter to what the what the quote unquote good guys want. Mm-hmm. Which is why when we talked about it, I was like, is he necessarily like he's the antagonist, but are his motives really villainous? Right. Like yes, because we lose people that we know and we love, but we don't get all the stories from the planets that are overpopulated where there is like slavery and stuff, which in in his vision like no longer needs to exist. Yeah, and it's totally random. He says like rich and poor will die equally. Yep. You can be you can be a superhero. You can be Doctor Strange who literally uses magic. Yeah. And like you can't save yourself. Right. Yeah, it's definitely a, like a morally unsettling movie just because it it, it asks you to uh, it makes a case for genocide. Right. Right. And it and it does so in a way that you actually consider it for a second. It's it's the thing from it's uh, because it's not it's not genocide by definition. You know, there's not a group of people. He's not picking people. That's right. why it's right. acceptable for a minute. But also why it's even grayer morally cuz it's the train it's the train uh, paradox is it's if you were on a train and could flip a switch and instead of, you know, 10 people dying, one person died but you knew who that person was, would you pull the switch? Yeah. So it's it's Thanos saying like, "No, I I wouldn't pull the switch. I would, you know, the loss of one life is less than the loss of ten, you know, which is. And what's interesting with Thanos is that like psychological experiment usually has that question, and everybody would flip the switch. Right. Most people would. And there's another question like, there's this like huge guy, like a Thanos-sized monster that you could push in front of the train. Yeah. Kill him instead of stopping it, and everybody says like, "No, I wouldn't do that." Right. But Thanos is a good villain because he definitely would. Yeah. He doesn't give a shit about whoever. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he obviously in this universe has, it's proven that he can love other things more mm-hmm. than himself yeah yeah. The, um, that he's heartless is the most clever thing that they do that he's not heartless right is the most clever thing they do with his character it was just it was a great payoff for a character who first appeared in, you know over ten years ago just sitting in a chair floating in space yeah with stupid ball sack makeup yeah Brolin was great though good voice work and I don't know if it was motion capture I assume it wasn't but it was really good he was good yeah so yeah I was a big fan. Uh, I watched a few movies. So with Solo coming out, I was uh, instead of rewatching all the Star Wars movies, I decided to rewatch some Ron Howard movies and uh, get a feel for his directing style. Um, and so I watched the few that were available on like Netflix and Amazon. I watched uh, Apollo thirteen, which I had seen many times, like in the nineties. I feel like when that came out, I had it on VHS and watched it uh, numerous times. That movie's still really good. Um, yeah, I watched it for the Tom Hanks piece. I watched really good. Yeah, I watched A Beautiful Mind, following that up, and that's not as good as Apollo thirteen. That's a movie that doesn't hold up as well. I don't think I agree. it's still above average, but it's not. Like, it's a, the kind of movie now where I see it and I'm and I'm surprised that the movie was even nominated for Best Picture. It also like since it launched John Nash into like kind of a celebrity, and then people realized like, oh, he was really crazy, and he was also like really anti-Semitic. It takes away from that movie because he became so famous after that. You yeah. know what I mean? It's also not even a true biopic because it left out like he had a second family. Yeah. <laughs> it yes. completely leaves out some yeah. very important things. So, But it introduced me to Paul Bettany, who I really like. Yeah. I think my introduction to Paul yeah, it was probably that, I guess. Yeah. I was thinking it was a Knight's Tale. But I think that was afterwards. <laughs> um, and uh, I watched Angels and Demons, which uh, was a rewatch. I'd seen it once, I think. My favorite Dan Brown book. Yeah, it's my favorite Dan Brown book too. And after watching it, I've also rewatched Da Vinci Code somewhat recently, and 
it just hit me that those move those books don't work as movies. They could work as like like a limited run TV show of some sort. Possibly, it's about, it's about the hunt though. That's the thing is that you are you have no time to sit with the mystery, and that's the problem when you try to cram a mystery that involves like a treasure hunt as well, right? Into a two hour movie. It's it's the Hunger Games problem. It's like there's not enough hunger. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when you do it in a movie, they're not hungry enough. It feels like they've been there for a few days. But the worst part of the third movie is there's not enough games. <laughs> yeah. Um, the third movie was a but no, waste. The, the, what I noticed about Ron Howard is that he's he's sort of at his best when he is documenting true stories, because, um, I'm also a big fan of his uh, racing movie Rush. It's really good. Which is a true story, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I don't know. I think it's. I think it struck me as like I, both of them in MCU movies. Yeah, and uh, that's true. And uh, it, it kind of struck me that like when Ron Howard needs to like develop fictional characters, they just he doesn't all that well. Like he doesn't. It's never that exciting. It's not that exciting. He, he's but if he can take true stories that are already interesting, and all he has to do is just film the real events that happened, he's pretty pretty damn good at that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean he's 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 vanilla. He yeah. is that director when it comes to fiction. He's entertaining. Like even Angels and Demons held my interest for two hours. Like it was it was a yeah, it, is, it is not a good movie, but it is a very watchable movie. Yeah. Um, Solo was slightly better, but in the same vibe. I feel like like it's never going to suck for Ron Howard. Right. Yeah. Which is a great director to pull in when you think a movie's starting to suck. Yeah, I actually think you wound up being a great choice for Solo yeah. because of that. Because if if you need, if you're Come worried, this. if you're worried that a movie is going to be a disaster and you just need it to be like, just you know, don't do anything horrible. Yeah, this movie should be an easy like two hundred million dollars. Come help yeah. it do that. Yeah, and it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's probably. I'm guess I haven't seen any box office totals. I'm guessing it's not going to touch the main series totals. No. Like anywhere near it's that. It's going to do like Rogue One, where it's going to do really well. Yeah. But it's, it's going to. They lose the money on like it. Like yeah. 300, 400 million probably yeah, in the end. Yeah. Which is, yeah, what they needed from him. So, um, that's all I watched, I think. Nope, nope. I got, I take that back. I was listening to a podcast, um, and they talked about the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and it got me excited. Wanted to rewatch the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So I watched Fellowship. And just to let you know, that's still amazing. It's yeah, still really those movies good. are all really good. They're all five star movies for me. Yeah. yeah, it is really good. The only thing that I that I would I would leave on the editing bay for Lord of the Rings is the music that plays anytime Sam and Frodo have a touching moment. <laughs> that is so cheesy, yeah. and I get it because this is like one of the oldest fantasy stories other than like the Bible. But <laughs> like, just that like that like flute. Piece that plays every time they're yeah. like they see it's Shire music, and then, every makes, time. and then it's a slow mo, but their laughter isn't played in slow mo, but their faces are, and they're all just jumping around in circles, <laughs> hugging each other. I just hate it. <laughs> I will say that Fellowship is a little harder. I think it's, uh, I think it's probably a little tougher to understand than the following two movies. I think there's, there's, it throws you in on some things. Like, uh, I remember on my first watch, I had no idea who the hell Kate Blanchett was. Like when oh, yeah. when that whole scene happened, there's not really a whole lot of um, exposition as to what why they're going there. But uh, so I can see how for some people the movie the first movie might be tough to get into. But at the same time, it's just, it's so well done, so well done. Yeah. 
Yeah, Ian McKellen is amazing brilliant. in that movie. Yeah, yeah. What's y'all's favorite of those? Mount Fellowship at the moment. Um, obviously, ask me in a week or two when I've seen them all recently. My my favorite has traditionally been Fellowship. Yeah, mine too. But I feel like it might change this time. I don't know. We'll see. Nice. Um, that's it. Ashley and I, like I said, like we mentioned last week, we're we're still plowing through uh, Friday Night Lights, which is. Still good. So it's still fun. Yeah, <laughs> I actually realized that I don't remember a I don't remember a lot of specifics after the first season. Yeah, me too. So the rest of this rewatch is going to be very enjoyable for me. Do you watch any reality TV? I watched one <laughs> show on reality <laughs> TV, and that was Survivor. Buckle in. Yeah. Well, I feel like I don't know. I feel like this happens every Survivor season. We just I feel like I don't have as much to say at the end because I I think. I think the last episode, there aren't as many strategic decisions that really get made. Like, I feel like the decisions are pretty much made for everybody by the time you get to the last episode. Well, here's a question. If Dom doesn't choose to use the fake idol at all... Okay. And he doesn't get voted out that first night, does he win? If he doesn't... If he can get through that vote without using the fake idol, do you think he wins? Well, who won, I mean, who won immunity the next go? Dom. Oh. Well, no, he played his idol and then he won immunity. Okay. I'm saying if he could have made it to five without doing the fake idol thing, does he win? I mean, I think Wendell takes a shot at him when he can. So if Wendell... I'm saying, like, he played the idol on five. Right. So he's definitely safe there, the real idol. Yeah. And then he won immunity at four. Okay. So you're saying at six, when they played Sebastian. Yeah, when he played the fake idol. When he played the fake idol. If he could have not played the fake idol and gone past, and not gone home. You mean not done any of the theatrics? I'm saying, yeah, not played the fake idol, so yeah. Okay. That'd be the worst move, is to do all the theatrics and not use the fake idol. Just hand like an empty thing. This is a f- real idol. It's invisible. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I also think that the people who were put off by that were looking for something to be put off by with him. Like I think I know Kellen pointed to that as a thing that bothered her, but at the same time, I think what really bothered her was that Dom and her. He didn't stay true to the Navidi strong thing. Right. Which is the thing that the two of them concocted early in the season. And also that every time Kellen, like, jumped up and down and stomped her feet and said, this is how I want the vote to go, it didn't go exactly that way, exactly every time she and wanted And she was always to. jumping up and down, stomping her feet to Dom. Right. And it never went her way. Yeah. To me, it read a lot like Daddy Warbucks as she was going like, this is what I want. Like, mm-hmm. do it for me. And he was just like, no. Yeah. Yeah, so my I think she could tell herself that he lost on that, but I think she was probably voting for Wendell. Seabass too. Yeah. Although uh, Seabass, I don't think it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe the same thing for him. He might say that Don lost it on that tribal, but I don't. I don't think he did. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I would have. I'm happy to see Wendell or Don win. If I'm on the jury, I probably vote Don for that. Um, only because it is what Wendell did with having a very vocal partner in that situation. Two people dominating the game, both having idols. Uh, it's easier to do what Wendell did, uh, in my opinion. Not easy, but easier. I mean, he never had to tell anybody 
the plan. I think you know what I mean. That was always Dom. In his defense, I do think he had to do a lot more social management than Dom did in the game. Yeah, and I think that's easier than than doing the making like crazy. Wendell never made a crazy move. But as as far as the scorecards concerned, Wendell's name got written down. Dom's didn't. Wendell had votes cast against him at, at a few tribal councils. Yeah, because everybody likes Wendell. I mean, I think that's why. Right. So, so even though Dom was controlling the game, people saw Wendell as more of a threat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They thought that he was the more important of the two, and he, you know, was in the end. Yeah, and he, he brought up idol management in the finale. Right. Like that was a big thing that he he basically held onto an idol and then played it even when he didn't need to. Right. Although he, that's like Dom did too. And yeah. I think to an extent, Wendell also helped helped Dom get to the end by managing Dom or by coaching Dom's personality early on. I think in the game, maybe by getting Dom to settle down a bit. Right. Dom came off, but not too much because I mean, yeah, that's what won him the game. Yeah, uh, it's from. I don't know. There's just there's just when Wendell has like he's liked and he played amazingly well, and nobody hates him. That is a good recipe, and that is hard to do. But there's no like. There was no stamp, right? That's why I like, wasn't impressed with him in the interviews, really, Wendell. I thought it was kind of cheesy and just not great. When it's just like, what did you do? And it's like, y'all like me. That's what I did. Yeah, you know I mean, he was he was, he was was eloquent. And he was a great friend to most of the people on the island that mm-hmm. Dom wasn't great friends to. Right, even though Wendell was just as dastardly in all yeah. the votes. Yeah, right. So, I mean, and that, that's, I don't know. But I mean, I, I respect people who vote for Wendell if they're honest about that and say, yeah, he did it in a way that wasn't jerkish, but Dom couldn't. So I would, I'm going to reward that is he did it in a way that didn't come off like he didn't an do asshole. It, though. That's my thing. Yeah. It's like, it like Dom did stuff. I, yeah, I, I agree. I, I just don't know. That's my problem. Yeah. I just don't know what gets surfaced. Yeah, I mean, we can only, yeah, sure. Because it's a good storyline to sell to most people who watch Survivor and CBS. That like, <clears throat> well, here's Dom. He's the mouthpiece. He's loud. And here's Wendell. He's the brains. He's behind the scenes. Right. Like that narrative exists to sell. Right. But I don't. I don't know. I mean, there's 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 something that, that David brought up when we were talking to him that like it's a little weird that the people who voted for Dom to win were the first five voted out, first five on the jury, and the five who voted for Wendell were the last five on the jury. Right. Like, or including six with Laurel. Like, I don't know if like Wendell was just that like. Just you know, the longer you're with him, the more you and he just sew your personalities together, and, and it and just takes time to like make that kind of bond with somebody. And since that's where his strength was, it's harder to discount that when you think about how well they played the game, which is what Dom did best. Is he played the big moves and he did all that, but he wasn't anyone's friend. Well, I think that I think he was to an extent. I think he did a good job, but I think Wendell did a better job when it came to personality, like managing like relationships with people I think that Dom was I think Dom was well liked by everyone out there I don't think he was a Russell Hance villain which doesn't mean anything to y'all I don't think I mean the reason I vote Dom too is that if you're breaking it down into how they want to talk about it Dom outwitted and outplayed Wendell yeah so if he gets those to me he did those two things and when Wendell definitely you know out out whatever the other one is but I think that I, I do think that Wendell's like when I say like he carefully, you could see it on the show him carefully managing the relationships. Like when he would, every time Laurel seemed to be wavering on her relationship with Wendell, he seemed to pick up on that and, and bring, bring her back. back. 
Like, mm-hmm. and it happens several times in the season. And I think that's that is that tends to be, I think, the hardest part of Survivor because, um, and again, like Dom didn't really sniff out anything at six. It was just Angela came and told him what was happening, and so. Honestly, and also, if, he, if they were surrounded, the, the two of them did a great job of surrounding themselves with people who are not good players. Yeah. Because better, a good player there thinks, if Dom really is holding a, a, a real idol here, and he knows this is coming, why would, he, why would he open up and be public about it? Why not just crush it from within? Right. I mean, why not just idle it out? And that's a thing that none of them stop to think about. <laughs> Yeah. Because you do what Ben did last year. Ben knew something was coming for him, and Ben had an idol. Right. And that's what you do. You play the idol then after the fact. Um, oh, unless you're Ben and you're just finding so many idols you get bored and play one before <laughs> that time <laughs> when you did that. But, right. Can I make um, one, one more Wendell Camp argument, and then we can talk about the, the finer details of it. I was thinking of it when when you were making your point about you know who you would rather vote for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it is important to think that Wendell's game could have been so good that if I were on the jury and you, TJ, and Brent, and a stranger were in the final three, and I am have made great relationships with both of you, but the stranger has played the game better, and I know Brent doesn't have a chance to win, I would, as much as I would say that, like, oh, game respects game... I want to give the person who played the game better the million dollars. I want to give my friend a million dollars. And if I think there's a good chance that me saying, like, my friend deserves a million dollars. Like, I want to make the person who I like's life better. That, like, I would feel conflicted with not doing that. With giving a stranger, a guy who, like, kind of rubbed me the wrong way, like, that big of a life-changing check. Yeah, and I don't know how much people knew necessarily how much Dom was misleading them about what he did, but he did mislead them about like to an extent about like what his job was. Right. And maybe somebody maybe there's that's like a subtle thing that people picked up on whereas Wendell just I think everybody thought he was authentic. And I'm not even saying like because well, of and that may not have mattered. I'm not even saying stuff. because of our station in life, but like, you know, TJ if you were a millionaire already, I would rather give you a million dollars than somebody who I don't know who I may not like. Like, it it feels better to my soul to do it that way, even though, like, no one remembers, I mean, people, people like Brent do, but, like, no one really remembers, like, who the individual jury person was who voted for somebody. They remember who won. Uh, also, my final thought is also, like, it... First off, I, th- I think we're we're mostly splitting hairs on the Don oh, versus Wendell absolutely. thing. They're yeah. both they yeah. would both be. It's the two most deserving top two players I've seen in the season. Sure, they, they both played a great game. No matter who won, that's going to be the best second place finisher right. in Survivor history. Right, and the votes bore that out. It was the first tie. Yeah. Right, like and yeah. it was a very deserving tie. Um, I think I said this to a friend of the podcast, Katie, one night when we were talking about Survivor, and I said. I contend that there are almost are always n- never undeserving winners on Survivor because the even if you think people should vote this way or that way and they don't, it's your problem for putting them on the jury. Like you, the game is about managing the people you're out there with, and so like the same game plan can't win every season, right? Because the game plan has to be malleable to the group, right? And so in that respect, like I, I don't think I kind of 
very oh. rarely think that there's an undeserving winner just because uh, the game the group dictates the game each time yeah for the most part so you know if, if so so and so has a problem with someone voting this way they should have recognized that somewhere along the way in that person in that jury member yeah um, no it's definitely fair mm-hmm. it's just uh dumb only because I don't I don't think they were doing what you're doing I see what you're saying but like they weren't that like Kellen wasn't that with Wendell right no she wasn't but so I, like, like that's it, dumb at that point because you've just decided what Chris is saying about the what Chris is saying is not dumb what Kellen did was dumb I don't think Kellen did what Chris is saying oh gotcha yes like Seabass might have maybe Laurel definitely did I think Seabass was convinced he did I'm not sure if that was true or not right you know I mean I think Wendell's a lot like this sounds shitty but a lot like us I think he's just easy to like you know what I mean and that that's a he had a leg up in the game from the get go because of that and Dom had a not that. I mean, he I hated over- Dom. He had to overcome that. Yeah. 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 He also had a different leg up in that he was a construction foreman. He was used to gathering his employees and marshalling them around and right. getting them. Which can hurt you on in yeah. the game, for mm-hmm. sure. But, yeah, no, it's just, uh, it's frustrating when people like that end up on the jury that really don't care about any of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know what you're saying. They should have sent Kellen out early, mm-hmm. you know. Wendell probably didn't want Kellen there. If, if he could have picked from all the people that were on Survivor, he probably didn't want Kellen there either. Obviously, she's a wild card. She doesn't know what the fuck she's voting on. He was probably most surprised by her vote. I mean, not... Not... Yes. Yeah. Before the before the interviews. Yeah. During the interviews, it was fucking obvious that yeah. she was just reaching for reasons to... Yeah. Hate Dom. I think that... Uh, I think the only... There's only... I don't think anybody... I think everybody's votes were pretty much decided going yeah. in. Yeah. I think the only person who maybe flipped their vote over the last few days of the game was possibly Angela, just because I think when you have a shot to finish third, and, you know, I think certain people know their game, and they understand they're not going to win. Yeah. Like like everybody that was there. Over the except last, for Dom and Wendell. Over the last, like... <laughs> going into the last episode, anyway. Yeah, yeah, at that point. I think Angela, long before that, knew she wasn't going to win the game. But yeah. there is a money prize for third place. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think she could have potentially been bitter that he took her third place prize away just to try to get Wendell out of the game. Which I don't think she should have been bitter about that. I mean, it's the game you signed up for, where you know the person in power gets to make that call. But I could see. I think she was definitely on Dom's side that episode because she came and told him about the the plot. Right. I also think of, of all the remaining of the final six to understand it the most, I would expect Angela to understand that he, by all means necessary, win this game. Mm-hmm. But, so, it was yeah. a, a little perplexing how she voted at the end. But. So, I don't think there's a lot Dom could have done different to win the game, other than just get Wendell out, but... I mean, he could have done the fire challenge thing, which would have been the... Yeah, he would have yeah. had two of the baddest-ass moves I've ever seen on Survivor in one season. Yes. One episode. One episode, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been amazing. Um, yeah. But yeah, other other than other than like, I think looking back, hindsight, I'm uh, if he if he puts Laurel up against Wendell, Wendell wins uh, the fire making challenge. There's a chance. There's a chance that Angela breaks the tie in his favor. Get get gets a vote from like Chelsea, or like one of the people. That well, she was there's still with. just a tie, and Angela breaks it. Is what Brent said. I'm oh, saying oh, Angela right. breaks the five five tie for Dom. Oh possibly. right. It's possible. But again, it was it was hard for him to know that in the moment. 
it was hard for him to know that at the time. And yeah. it's it's certainly not a I wouldn't call it a mistake. I like the disappointed mind no, look on her no, face. None of those are easy to make. That yeah. you can't put somebody you know is voting for your main opponent on the jury. Right. Right. And you can't take yourself out of the final three for sure to go try to beat the beta pub yeah. on fire. Yeah. I wish you did, because that would have been awesome, yeah. <laughs> but you can't do it. It would have been great TV. I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. So. In fact, uh, I'll, I'll give a shout out to my mom. I thought she had me completely convinced when, uh, so in the, in the episode when Jeff said, I have an apology to make to uh, Eric and uh, James, the two guys who they brought out who made mistakes years ago. Yeah. And uh, they're called the dumbest survivors ever. He said, I've got an apology to make. We'll get to that later. And then Dom starts talking about how he might give it up to do the fire <laughs> challenge. And Mom goes, she's like, he's going to do that. That's going to be the apology. Uh, well, there's a new dumbest survivor. That, that he, Jeff's going to bring them out and be like, guys, you are absolved. There is a new dumbest survivor move of all time. So we're, we're running out of time here, but we uh, do have one more question. I don't think he could have done it anyway. I don't think he could have. Beat Wendell? No, I don't think he could have put himself against Wendell and decided that with four left. You don't think the producers would have allowed it? No. I think uh, he could have given that to somebody else and had them pick, but they wouldn't do that either. They'd pick they'd pick Wendell or Dom. Because Laurel and Angela's best shot was to have both of them there. That was their only shot. Unless, mm-hmm. unless again, unless at that point you're Laurel and you're Angela and you're just like, second place money is better than third place money. Maybe. I'd rather finish second than third. Yeah. Although, I don't know how they decide second with zero votes. <laughs> right. Maybe but, I asked a winner. But, anyway. <laughs> yeah. I just don't think he could have been like, this is how I wanted to work, because that's not the reward. The reward is you get to pick one person to go sit. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. It was, a, it was a fun season. A very fun ending. Yeah. Yeah. Do we want to do Breezy or just... Yeah, I just want to say quickly, we... Yeah. we TJ posted an article that we were going to talk about, and David posted an article on Movies by Us. Go check those out. There's a reshoot coming for uh, for Show Dogs, the movie, um, the, where there might be some implied uh, victims of abuse should just get over it that exists in the movie Show Dogs, which is perplexing why, <laughs> during the moment. height of Me Too, that yeah. uh, they are leaving that in there. But So there's a reshoot coming for that. And then David posted an article... That uh, fans of Arrested Development is really hard to read, um, but I recommend reading it. It's a piece that NPR put out. Um, there was a New York Times interview where Jessica Walters is audibly sobbing in the background, based on some 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 harassment. That, sorry, harassment's the wrong word to use because that comes with connotations. But a a verbal altercation she had with Jeffrey Tambor um, on the on the uh, in the aftermath of him being fired from Transparent. Um, kind of confronting him about how he treated the two trans women who um, led to his firing from that show. They got to a, a, a shouting match, um, and she broke down on set. And they they kind of bring it back up in the New York Times interview. And it's just a really uncomfortable setting. Um, but, you know, all of the, the cast from Arrest Development is there in the room while it's happening. And it's, I don't know, it's interesting. It's the kind of thing where I would like to talk to you guys at length about like what would you do in that situation but yeah. you know it's 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 so hard mm-hmm. um, but yeah read those articles they're, they're they're both really interesting for different reasons yeah um, but yeah Arrested Development's coming out next week or the week after the the fifth season and it'll be out by the time you listen to this podcast yeah it's, uh, it's uh, the 29th okay it's coming out and if that if that Times interview is anything to believe 
be believed, might be the last season. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so yeah. We thought that before, though. Yeah. So. so I have heard good things about the season, though, as far as the show. Like, it, I've heard it, it feels more like season three than season four. Yes. Okay. Cool. But yeah, that's it. We just want to breeze through Breezy because we we're talking about some big movies and, and Survivor finale. Mm-hmm. Let's come out next week. Let's do that real quick. So there is the movie Adrift, which is the Shailene Woodley guy from the movie from other stuff. I don't know that guy's name. But yeah. Shailene Woodley movie where it's a couple who goes boating in the Pacific and get hit by some like nasty storm and yeah. the boat capsizes and it's them. And I want to say adrift. He, he is an experienced sailor and she is not. And he is pretty much uh, incapacitated. Incapacitated is a great word yeah. for it. And so she has to pretty much figure out how to survive on her own with them. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And then there's action point. This is the Johnny Knoxville written, starred, directed, uh, movie where he is the owner of a rickety amusement park where the stunts are real by jackass people. Yeah, uh, right. And yeah. this is based on a real amusement park in North Jersey called Action Place, I think. Okay. Um, which was the same thing where the kids built the rides, but it's him doing all his stunts in this. Um, which, you know, it's giant Knoxville. And then a movie with Michael C. Hall. Nope, that's not Michael C. Hall. Logan uh, Marshall Green. Logan Marshall Green. Called- He's. He's in that, that dinner party movie. Oh, yes. That's right. Uh, called Upgrade. It's a brutal mugging leaves Gray Trace paralyzed in the hospital and his beloved wife dead. A billionaire inventor soon offers Trace a cure, an AI implant called STEM that will enhance his body. Now able to walk, he has superhuman strength and agility, skills he uses to seek revenge against the thugs who destroyed his life. This feels like a computer-generated plot. This feels like it's going to debut on Netflix at the same time. I can't believe it, but I would recommend to go see Adrift. I'm not watching any more Jackass shit. I refuse to ever watch anything related to that ever again. It's been too long. Upgrade apparently is 73% on Rotten Tomatoes. For a movie that comes out next week, though. So. I'm worried with the drift. The first time I heard about this movie was when I saw Solo yesterday. I've seen shows for it leading up. Yeah. I watch lots of movie trailers. The special effects look good in it, at least. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If you're going to see a drift at any point, see it in a theater... Just because I think the the ocean stuff will seem bigger on a big screen. Yeah. It'll yeah. seem better. I'll say a drift. Don't go see Action Point no matter what Chris says. I'm going to say Action Point. Because <laughs> they, they know how to put together a fun movie. Throw yourself into a wall at 24 miles an hour. I mean, that's <laughs> that's never the stuff about Jackass that's the fun, like the most fun. It's all the other stuff around Let's that. Just stop doing it then. He will when he dies, probably. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's the new evil Knievel. Like, he's just, like, way dumber. I want oh. to amend what I just said, though. Like, I, well, I'll stand by, if you're going to see a drift, see it in the theater. However, maybe just don't see a drift at all. And go see Upgrade! What's it called? Is it Upgrade? Yeah. Okay, Upgrade. That's spelled U-P-G-R-A-Y-Y-D. Like in Idiocracy. It's not spelled that way. It's spelled normally yeah. Upgrade. His name's Gray. Oh, yes. Oh, no. You can't watch that. <laughs> Wait, I thought his name was Trace. It's Gray Trace. Oh, no. <laughs> Gray Trace is such a <sighs> shitty name. Everyone else only has first Go names. see that because it's only 96 minutes long. <laughs> Upgrade. Let me, let me, let me. Well, this has been Talkie Talk, a podcast <laughs> for the Unfortunately, we've got a shitty weekend of movies coming up, but, you know, deal with it. 
three-way split. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Movies Bias, TV Bias, Games Bias. We also have a main page there for the Media Bias. You can also send us an email at themediabias at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at, at, at themediabias.com. Nope, just at themediabias. Um, and you can uh, rate our podcast. Give us a one to five star rating. We want to hear what you have to say. There's some kung fu happening. I hope it picks up on the microphone. <laughs> um, we are really at our wits end today. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also want to ask for a big thanks. For, ask for one? Yeah, you guys. You guys thank Willow Walkers for the intro. Thanks, Willow Walkers. Thanks, Willow Walkers. I'll thank Burifa for the outro. Burifa! Thanks, Burifa. This has been Talk Talk. Thanks for coming, guys. Bye-bye.